So you know about the ghosts of Christmas past, and you know about the ghost of Christmas present, and you know about the ghost of Christmas future. But that's Charles Dickens, right? Uh, we're going to look today, as we come to Isaiah, Isaiah's going to look backward, right, at things that have happened in the past. He's going to remind the Israelites of things going on in the present, even as he uh, recognized this message is coming to the people uh, that he spoke to in his day. But what Isaiah really wants to talk about with us today is the future, uh, what's coming and, and what is to be expected. And, and no surprises here, because what you're going to see with me today is that Isaiah is going to do, uh, he's going to give us the exact same things that we've seen throughout the book. We've seen God's great character revealed. That's what this book is about, right? It's revealing God, his, his great character, his sovereignty, his mercy, his holiness. And, and we've seen God's character mainly through two themes that continue to come at us over and over again. That God cares about justice. He cares about righteousness and holiness. And when he looks across his creation and he sees affliction of people, when he sees living in sin and idolatry, when he sees rampant uh, lying and and theft and leaders taking advantage of people, and and every wrong, uh, the same things that we look at when we pull up our news app, uh, God is moved by those things because his holiness and his righteousness will not allow him to stay indifferent to the problems and evils and sins and sufferings of this world. And so he comes with his arm uh, back ready to act. And we've seen that language used in Isaiah over and over and over again as God comes in judgment. Even in Isaiah 9, right, the Lord of hosts, God in, in BDUs, as it were, coming in his military attire to make right, uh, make right every wrong that he sees. But we see a second function, a second theme in Isaiah, and we'll see it again in our chapter today, Isaiah 65, is, is yet in the midst of that, God is kind and merciful and patient, and, and, and he's, not, he's not a moody God that just gets, gets grumbly and gets offended, and, and, and it's like, okay, that's enough, I've had enough of you, and he acts out of frustration. No, 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 God comes in a calculated way to show mercy and patience, to give sinful human people like you and me time to repent before before his arm of judgment comes to act. And we see that not just in his kindness toward his people Israel that have been stubborn and idolatrous and rebellious and corrupt. We'll see that toward his people, but we'll see again here that as Isaiah comes giving his message, God's God's message of redemption and mercy and forgiveness uh, transcends just uh, an offer to his own people and becomes a worldwide announcement that all who will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And uh, what a message for today, right? We look out here, it's a mess out here. Not not the weather, the, the world is a mess, right? And we see the same corruption and the same sin, and we say, when will this stop? Doesn't God care? Yes, he does care. Remember what Peter says? We say, why is God not acting? And Peter says, God's not being slow. He's not asleep at the switch. Uh, his watch hasn't stopped. That's, that's not the deal. He, he's intentionally being slow to bring his judgment. Why? To give people time to repent. 
God is not slow, as some count slow, as Peter says, but is patient toward you, not designed for any to perish, right? But for all to come to repentance. And, and so that, that's the season that we're in right now. And that's why our mission today is not to get frustrated by the world or throw in the towel or all that, but to pray that Jesus' kingdom would come and his will would be done as many people across this land would come to repentant faith in Jesus. Okay, I'm getting excited just just telling you the introduction here. So let's let's jump in here. And uh, Drew, through his uh, technological magic right now, will put this up on the screen for you to see. So let me do this. And those of you at home, let me share the screen here. And uh, let's jump into our Isaiah study. You can turn in me with your Bible to Isaiah 65 if you haven't already done that. And uh, we are so close. You know, if, if this was a uh, if this was a marathon, you ever seen a marathon that ends in a stadium? You ever seen that? I think those are great, right? Some of the some of the famous uh, marathons that end in a uh, you know a, a ball stadium or, or maybe an Olympic stadium, and and you know so the the runners after you know 25.75 miles or whatever it is they're coming in and they're going to do one lap right to 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 finish up that final mile to get them to 26.2. I guess that would be a little more than a lap, wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, I failed math. So so they're coming into the stadium right and they're going to round. And they're going to head for the tape. And that's where we're at in Isaiah. They, uh, Isaiah has entered the stadium. He's going to make one final lap in chapter 65 and 66. And we will come to the conclusion of our study. But before we do that, let's look at Isaiah chapter 65 today. And I'm going to borrow Paul's term in Romans uh, where he heavily leans on the book of Isaiah in his presentation in, Isaiah, in Romans 9 to 11. And uh, we're going to call this today the kindness and severity of the faithful God. Because those are the three attributes that we're going to see in our time today. We're going to see his kindness, his compassion, his mercy, his forbearance with sinful people. We're going to see his severity, that, that, that uh, God's, God's divine gavel is coming upon the courtroom of human history. That God will bring a verdict upon sinful people and his horrible yet holy judgment will come when that happens. And in all of these things, we see God's faithfulness to his covenants, to his promises, to his people, and as well as those who would be grafted into those promises uh, through the new covenant. So, so let's jump in here. And let's look first at God's patient kindness, okay? Could we do that first? God's patient kindness. Let's look together at Isaiah 65 and the first few verses here. Isaiah says, uh, Isaiah writes, quoting God. Now, so God is speaking, and Isaiah is recording what God says, okay? Here's God. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. Now let's stop right there. That is essential to understanding the character and nature of God. Who is it? that takes the initiative in saving us from sin and restoring relationship to God? Who takes that initiative? God does. 
God does. And, that, and that's why we take hope. That's why we take hope when we see people that need Christ. And yes, we know they need to respond, but, but we see that God is able to work in the heart, that he, he allows himself to be sought, right? He, he says, here am I, right? Even to those who are not calling for him. Now, what's interesting is we've we got to ask the question, who is he talking about here? Because this book has said over and over and over again that the nation that belongs to God, the people that belong to God are who? The Israelites, the Jews. So who's he talking about here? Who's he talking about? He must be talking about someone else, right? So on your notes there, God seeks people for himself beyond the nation of Israel. A nation not called by my name. Well, that doesn't fit Israel because Israel was a nation called by his name. The whole, the whole Old Testament says that. So we see there, and, and that reminds us of Romans 10.20, where, where those famous verses, right? Uh, who knows Romans 10.9? Who could quote that and just be, be a good Awana student here? Uh, Romans 10.9, Bible drill. I, I see the, the Palmers here, and I see the, uh, uh, what's that? All right, we'll have an Awana leader do it. Give it a, give it a shot, Cece. If you confess with your mouth. I can read it. Oh, oh, you can read it too. Okay, that, that's that gospel verse, right? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and that's that wonderful gospel call that Paul brings in Romans. And, and remember, Romans has largely been about the Jews not responding, but he's included the Gentiles, that the Gentiles also have access to Jesus. And it's in that same chapter, in Romans chapter 10, that Paul is going to quote from our verse here. And uh, you don't need to turn there, but, but just listen to it, because uh, Paul is using it, I think, in the same sense as what God is using it in Isaiah, as Isaiah records it for us in chapter 65. But listen to this. So uh, you know this. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, footnote, in Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news of good things. Verse 16, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, now here, here's, our, here's our verse here, okay? So just listen to this. But surely I say they have not heard, right? Um, and then Isaiah, in verse 20 here, uh, I, uh, Paul quotes Isaiah. He says, I was very bold and said, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. And he contrasts that with Israel, who has been stubborn and disobedient, hasn't responded to the call. So Paul is saying, look, even Isaiah said that this gospel message would come to non-Jewish people. It comes to the nations. Now, you and I should be thankful for that because that's us, isn't it? Look at verse, uh, if, you went, if you went to Romans with me, just, just go back now to Isaiah chapter 65. And, uh, and even though God permits himself to be found by those who didn't seek him, these Gentile nations, we've seen repeatedly in Isaiah that uh, the, the promises uh, in the new covenant, the, the spiritual promises of the new covenant come to even those Gentiles who would repent and, and believe in the servant. Uh, but look at verse 2. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people, 
who walk in the way which is not good, who follow their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit amongst graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh, and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots. We'll stop right there. And yet God continues to seek his people, the Israelites, even in their rebellion. Do you see the picture? God continues to extend out his hand of mercy to a people, his people, the Israelites, who reject and reject and reject him. They rebel. And uh, that's Paul's point in Romans 10, that they continue in that rebellion largely even to this day. Now, now just a footnote. Uh, what, are, what are they doing? What were the sins of the Israelites? Uh, look back at the text there in, in verses 3 to 5. What were some of the things they were doing that God says was rebellious? They were going through the motions of their spirituality. That's right. What else? Self-righteous. What else? Occult practices. That's right. Burning incense on bricks and gardens. You know, they, they weren't they weren't doing the biblical sacrifices in the biblical places. Right? They, they were getting creative. Uh, God God does not smile upon creativity when it comes to how He desires to be worshipped, does He? Just ask Nadab and Abihu about that. Okay, what else do you see? They're eating uncleanly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're they're eating uh, bacon and, and ham here, aren't they? They eat swine's flesh. Um, they're they're eating broth of unclean meat. Uh, verse five says, "They say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am holier than you." There's that self righteousness, right? But don't miss the most obvious way, the simplest way that we rebel against God. Look back at verse, uh, the end of verse 2. What is the way that they walk which is not good? They follow their own thoughts. That's pretty condemning, isn't it? God considers it rebellion. When we just do what we feel like doing. We just do what seems right to us. Uh, we, we, we follow our own thoughts, right? You know, remember Proverbs, uh, Solomon pleads with his boys, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Why? What's wrong with a little creativity? What's wrong, wrong with a little, a little space, right? God considers that rebellion. When we deviate from his word, even a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. So we see that God is patient and kind, that he extends his hand over and over and over to his own rebellious people, and yet they continue to live in their own thoughts, don't they? So there's God's kindness. There's his, there's his patient kindness toward his people, that he is merciful. He's offering to forgive. He's offering to restore. He's waiting. He's prolonging. You know, you know, if you notice this in the Bible, God keeps pushing back the goalposts. Right? On his judgment. 
because he wants people to have time to repent. And that's not God being slow. That's God being kind. But notice with me in verses uh, 5 to 7, his patience and offer of mercy have a limit. There is an expiration date to God's patient mercy and his offer of grace. Listen to me very closely. Not because his mercy and grace are limited, but his offer of the grace and mercy are limited. There is coming a day when God says, enough. If he delays and you think, ah, what's wrong? Why doesn't God act in this wicked world? It's because he's being kind and merciful and patient. And that's good because we needed that, didn't we? Other people need that. But there's coming a day when he says, it's done. And he comes uh, as the judge. He comes as the commander-in-chief to do battle and to bring to rest every form of wickedness in the world. Look with me in verse second half of verse 5. Um, right? Those who say, keep to yourself, I'm holier than you. Okay, there's the end of the quote of the people. Now God responds in the second half of verse 5, okay? Look at this. These, meaning people that do that, are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Um, some of you have relatives in California like I do, and, and this year, as if the pandemic wasn't enough, and uh, racial uh, relations and tensions and riot in the streets and, and looting and all that, protests were not enough. Pretty much the whole state of California was on fire at some time this year. Northern California, Central California, Southern California. Uh, there was one that came very close to my brother's apartment just about a month ago in Southern California. The, the, the real big ones, of course, are up uh, uh, north of the Bay Area. And uh, Did you guys see any of the video on that? I mean, they're bringing fire crews from our area, Dallas, and all over the country. And you look at that, and the, 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 the acreage burned is just beyond imagination. And, and even trying to to somehow fight those, as some some of you understand how this works, but it's 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 overwhelming destruction that is completely beyond control at times, isn't it? And Isaiah says, quoting God, "Do you know what my judgment's going to be like? It's like an out of control fire that burns." And, and the picture here is, is pretty violent. I mean, there's it, it, another, another PG-13 moment in, in Isaiah here. He says, They, the wicked, the sinful, the rebellious, are like smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Behold, verse 6, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, God says, I will not ignore sin. The, the, the common American notion that says God will just let me off because that's what God does. God will just forgive me because that's what God does. God doesn't really care about how I live my life as long as it's not really bad. This 
is shockingly corrected as God says, enough. I will act. I have to act. I will not be silent any longer, but I will repay. Verse 6, I will repay, and here's the personal part, in their bosom, both their own iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together. And again, we've, we've talked about that recently. That doesn't say God holds the children accountable for the sins of the fathers. No, no. What, what he's saying is the kids have acted just like the parents. And judgment comes on both. Why? Verse 7, because they have burned incense on the mountains. That's that the, the pagan uh, uh, rituals. Remember, remember the kings? We've seen this in Isaiah, right? They were running all over the countryside, taking the Assyrian religious system, the Assyrian gods and, and other gods from surrounding nations, and they're building shrines on every rock and every mountain and every hill, the, the high places, the, 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 the altars, and they were going around. Why? Because they're surrounded by Assyria, and maybe Yahweh is not enough to save us. So, so we're just going to give us a little extra insurance by building shrines to the Assyrian gods just in case. Maybe that will keep us safe. And the modern American gods of personal security and health and freedom and prominence and financial security, materialism, and all the rest are just as offensive when they compete with our allegiance to God. They burned incense on the mountains. They've scorned me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their... But this is a personal judgment. God says... My judgment comes to you. It lands, we would say in the vernacular, it lands in your lap. And so we see the patient kindness of God, but we also see his holy judgment, right? This is the severity of God. That God's not a pushover. That God's not indifferent to injustice. He will not turn a blind eye to sin. He won't say it's okay. He doesn't wink He comes in his awesome and holy wrath to bring recompense on all those who have not found forgiveness in his son. So the kindness of God, the severity of God, and yet in the midst of all this, look with me at a third attribute of God, his faithful mercy. His faithful mercy. Look at verse 8. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster... And one says, do not destroy it, for there is benefit in it. So I will act on behalf of my servants in order not to destroy them all. But what, 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 he's, what he's saying is, like, like new wine is found in a cluster, meaning, meaning there, there's some good stuff in the midst of all the bad stuff. God says, and yet because I am merciful and faithful, to my covenant and my promises and my people, I will work to not destroy them. As I bring judgment on rebellion and wickedness and wrong, I will protect and be loyal to those who have put their faith and trust in the servant. Right? That's what he says there. I will not destroy all of them, he says. Verse 9, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and an heir on my mountain from Judah. 
Even my chosen ones will inherit it and my servants will dwell there. See, looking at verses 5 to 7, we might say, God is so angry, and rightly so, and righteously so, that maybe he just, you know, floods the world again. Or burns the whole thing up. Or, right, right, maybe he just says, you know, he goes to the nuclear option and just blows up the universe and says, I'll start over. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that because he's made a promise. He's made a covenant to people saying, I will not do that if you will find your refuge in me. And so, listen to me. What tempers God's judgment is his covenant faithfulness to people that have put their trust in him. Right? And that's why, and you're going to see where this goes. We're going to get to the end of the world here. You didn't realize when you came in this morning, we're going to get to the end of the world. We're going to get to the end of the world. And you know what we're going to see in the end of the world? We're going to see awe-inspiring, horrific destruction I mean, this is shock and awe of a scale that we can hardly comprehend for those that refused the mercy of God. And yet we are going to see incredible joy, joy that is so overwhelming. John, who sees the vision in Revelation, and Isaiah, who sees the vision in his day, can't even put it into words. So we say, behold, the kindness and severity of God because he's faithful to do what he tells us he will do. So he will act. Look back at verse 9. He will bring forth offspring, his chosen ones, his servants will dwell there, saying, I will not drop the spiritual nuclear bomb on Palestine and just obliterate the thing. No, I am preserving a remnant and I will restore that nation, that city, for those that have trusted in him. Verse 10, look at this. Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks. That's the west side of Palestine. And the valley of Acre, a resting place for the herds. That's the east side. So he's saying that whole region will be restored for my people who seek me. Okay, so let's let's catch up here. The servants, by context, are believing Jews that are part of the remnant that will be saved and will inherit the land. We've seen this throughout the book. Just... If you want to hold your place there, or if you can just sit tight and listen if you like, um, go back to Isaiah chapter 1, right out of the gate, right as we first heard Isaiah go to the people in his very first speech. He says this, right? As, he, as he's looking, remember, remember Isaiah 1, he's looking going, what happened? Why the desolation? Why the destruction? Why, why are cities broken down? And, and, and what's the deal, right? And we find out that's, that's a, a result of God's judgment. And yet we're told from the very beginning of the book, as we have this sobering introduction, that God will leave and preserve some survivors. Remember that? Verse 9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. And we know that he does that, right? Because he is faithful. Or more recently, in chapter 57, verse 13, uh, Isaiah says the same thing. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. Kind of mocking the idols, right? But the wind will carry all of them up, and a breath will take them all away. Isaiah says, in the end, your idols will fail you, and you will die and go to judgment. But, listen to the second half of verse 13. 
But he who takes refuge in me will inherit the land and will possess my holy mountain. He's not going to annihilate it, right? He's not going to incinerate the place entirely, right? He's preserving a remnant and those people will actually inherit the land, okay? Now this comes, we saw this a moment ago, back to chapter 65 now, back to chapter 65 and verse 10, that these things come to those who seek him, right? My people who seek me will will see these things and will inherit the land, okay? And that's that we've seen that over and over again, right? Jerusalem will be restored. People that have repented, his people will regather and they will enjoy that blessing. And now, now we get a vision of the future for God's servants and his rejectors. You've seen, have you seen the two people? There's the remnant, people that are seeking him, that are trusting him, and there's everybody else that's rebelling and ignoring and indifferent and putting their hope in all the wrong places. And Isaiah, as he's, he's running the final lap of the track, right? I mean, this is, this is his last plea to the people, and he just wants to paint the picture in such a strong contrast as to appeal one more time for people to repent. Listen to this. This, this, is, this is incredible. Look at verse 11. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain. Remember that that's Jerusalem, that's Zion, and it represents uh, uh, God and, and his ways, right? Who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune, who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny. Those were two pagan gods that he's referencing there. Verse 12, I will destine you for the sword. And all of you will bow down to the slaughter because I called and you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. And you did evil in my sight and chose that which I did not delight. Look at verse 13. For thus says the Lord, behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Notice the contrast here, okay? Watch this. My servants will eat, you will be hungry. My servants will drink. You will be thirsty. My servants will rejoice. You will be put to shame. My servants will shout joyfully and be glad in heart. But you will cry out with a heavy heart and you will wail with a broken spirit. You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord my God, that's Yahweh Almighty, will slay you. Wow. Takes your breath away, doesn't it? We might be tempted to say, eh, sorry for them. But remember that Isaiah is describing what all sinners deserve. What we all find in our future unless God rescues. And remember, he's merciful, right? He's gracious. His hand is still... Are we alive today? Yes, is God showing up in the clouds yet? No. Which means what? His merciful hand is still extended down from heaven. 
Won't you repent? Won't you trust me? Won't you turn to me? And avoid this horrible, eternal, tragic end. Look at your notes. Fortune and destiny were pagan gods. The judgment of unbelieving Israelites comes. Did you notice this? Look look back at verse 12. Why does this judgment come upon them? Not simply because they're sinners. That's true. Not because of ignorance. They've never heard. But why? Verse 12. Because I called. And you didn't answer. I spoke. But you did not hear. We're going to talk about this in the the worship service in a little bit, but do you know how many people have heard and rejected? God's judgment comes because people refuse the gospel. I don't want to get too personal, but because this was my testimony for so long, I don't want to assume that I'm the only one. I heard the gospel for almost 20 years and rejected it. Now, if you would ask me that, I would have said, oh yeah, but in my heart, I didn't follow God. In my heart, I was living for myself. In my heart, I thought I was good enough. And Jesus is important, but he's good enough. Just take a moment and ask yourself, um, Is my faith real? Refusing the gospel results in violent and horrible consequences. I can hardly even read it. These extreme contrasts, guys, look at this. You ever been hungry? Like really hungry? No, we're Americans. We've never experienced that. Maybe some of you have been in a third world country. Maybe some of you have been on the mission field. You get that, right? What is judgment like? Being eternally hungry and never being satisfied. Being eternally thirsty without any hope for even a drop of water for relief. Jesus talks about with that with the, the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? You think that you deal with shame in this broken world? How about shame that lasts eternally because you rejected your God. Verse 14. My servants shout joyfully with a glad heart. Judgment 
is those who cry out with a heavy heart, who wail with a broken spirit. We think depression is bad in this culture. I think anxiety is difficult in this life. I think hopelessness is overwhelming in this broken world. Well, eternity is all those things without any hope of relief. And they're called a curse. Turn this around, though. If you take refuge in him, what is our future like? (laughs) You will eat and be satisfied like you've never been. You will drink and be satisfied like you've never been. You will rejoice in your God, you will shout joyfully with a glad heart. That's something we don't experience in this life, right? We we have trouble and tribulation and circumstances and difficulties and death and dying and sadness and shame and 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 regret and guilt and and right and and all that is gone. And we rejoice. We shout joyfully with a glad heart. Can you imagine a heart that is so glad nothing can ever interrupt it? You know, you know that thing that happens at Christmas time where you know, you're sitting by the fire, the weather outside is not frightful. Well, I guess it can be frightful if the fire is so delightful. I guess that's the point, right? You know, maybe you got some friends. Your house is actually staying clean for a couple of moments because the kids are outside. You know, you got some Christmas music playing, holiday lights, and, and for a moment you're like, this is really, really nice. You know what I'm talking about? And then the, kid, the kids come in the house. And it looks like, you know, a, an EF5, you know, tornado or something, right? Um, and, and then you get that, that news alert, Right? Then you get that unexpected phone call. Then you get that unexpected bill. And that moment of gladness and joy is gone. Right? And that's not just, that, that's, that's life. Well, you know, you know what taking refuge in God is like for all eternity? That moment, exponentially better, that never goes away. Because there's nothing in eternity that can upset that. Nothing that can change it. You have changed. You're glorified in, in the image of, of your Savior and you're in a, a perfect world. Now, 16 is kind of confusing, so let's talk about this, okay? Look at this. Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my sight. What on earth does that mean? Well, let me give you the New Living Translation that that just smooths out all the exegetical issues. Rather than me explaining it, uh, the NLT does a really good job helping us to capture the essence. Okay, it's it's on your in your notes and it's on the screen there. All who invoke a blessing or take an oath will do so by the God of Truth. For I will put aside my anger and forget the evil of my earlier days. Well, again, what what God is saying is, 
Everywhere he looks, it's righteousness. It's people following the name of the Lord. That, that the past wickedness, the past rebellion, the past evil is gone, is what he's saying. You say, why is that? Here's why. Look at this. Look at verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem uh, for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. There will no longer be heard in the, in the, um, the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. The youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, trees live a long time, don't they? So will the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children in calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. And it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb will graze together, something you do not see at zoos today. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm. In all my holy mountain, says Yahweh. And we say, what is this all about? Well, look at this. He describes a new heaven and a new earth. And this parallels Revelation 21. Remember I told you last time that the book of Revelation parallels the book of Isaiah in terms of how they conclude. Isaiah takes us from the present day to the end of the world in terms of the new heavens and the new earth in the Old Testament. Revelation takes us from the present day at the time in the first century and to the end of the world in the New Testament. So they parallel one another. They talk about a lot of the same things, and both of them talk about a new heavens and a new earth. And notice the description. There's no crying in Jerusalem, verse 19, and life will be extended. But notice verse 20. It talks about, you know, old men living long and youth dying at the age of 100. But we hear that there is still death. So whatever is going on here, things are better. Things are great. Things are different for the good. But death is still hanging around. Say, what's going on here? Hold your place here. And, and uh, go with me. We're going to flip back and forth between Isaiah and Revelation, okay? So however you want to do that, clicking your iPad or your phone or put a piece of paper in your Bible. But let me just show you this for a moment, okay? So hold your place in 65. Go back to Revelation 21. And uh, uh, Revelation 21, verse 1. Okay, are you there? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, well, that sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? Um, for the first one had passed away. There is no longer any sea. We've got to talk about that. Because is there fishing? Is there sailing? 
We need to talk about that, Drew, okay? We'll talk about that another time. Uh, and I saw, verse 2, the holy city, New Jerusalem. Again, that, that sounds like Isaiah, right? New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, right? And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from the throne. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. We say, well, that, that sort of sounds like Isaiah. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear. Yeah, that Isaiah covered that. And there will no longer be any, what's the word? Death. Death. Wait a minute. Isaiah is talking about a new heaven and a new earth, and no mourning, and God's with them, and new Jerusalem. But there's a longevity of life but there's not an eternality of life yet. Death is still around. So we go, what's going on? So this doesn't sound like the eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth. We say, so So, how do we understand this? It's actually kind of simple. Isaiah is combining a restored kingdom of Jerusalem, right? And the new heavens and the new earth. And he kind of lumps those all together. What Revelation does in in the vision that, that John saw in Revelation, is it actually gives us cr- a chronology. Okay? And, and assuming that the chronology we get in Revelation 20 and 21 is accurate, and, and there's, a, there's a sequence there, right? Some parts of Revelation are kind of out of order. 20, 21, and 22 are clearly a sequence. So what you have is a restoration, a kingdom, followed by a new heaven and a new earth, and the annihilation of death into the eternal state. So what Isaiah is describing comes before the eternal state, but leads to it. You get it? Uh, we, we, the Bible doesn't use this term, but it references a reign of a thousand years in uh, Revelation chapter 20. And so probably what we typically call the restored kingdom where there's a longevity of life and, and, and people are worshiping God and, and there's, there's all these really great things... We typically call that the millennial kingdom, the restored kingdom of Israel where Jesus, the servant, rules and reigns for a thousand years. And that leads into the new heavens and the new earth. So that, that's, that's kind of how it makes sense to me to put it together. So on your notes there, Isaiah's vision of restored Jerusalem, the millennial kingdom, and the new heavens and new earth are presented together, whereas the book of Revelation clarifies the progression of one to the other. Okay. So that, that seems to make sense to me. Now, now look back, if you're in Revelation now, okay, just, just flip back to Isaiah. And notice some of the features that Isaiah describes in what we're calling the millennial kingdom or this, this restored Jerusalem that leads into the new heavens and new earth and, and the eternal state. Notice the longer lifespan, right? If a, if a kid dies at 100, we say, oh man, he didn't do so well. Right, So there's a longevity of life. And, and, of course, in this day, remember, people didn't live nearly as long as they live today. So a youth that reaches 100 is even more impressive than, uh, than it would be by today's standards. Notice also, there's a blessed, they are blessed with a continual friendship with God. Look at verse 23. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. Uh, they are the, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord, their descendants with them. Notice this, it will also come about, it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Why is that? What do you think? What does that mean? It's a close relationship, right? And uh, you, you know, uh, well, I'll tell you this. Um, 
didn't put this in the notes, but it works. Um, Lisa and I celebrated our 20th anniversary this last week, right? And the Keeners, or not the Keeners, um, the, uh, the, the Dixons also, right? They're, they're, actually, they're away, and they're celebrating their 20th too. Um, how many of you have been longer, married longer than 20 years? 30? 40? 45? 50? Who's going to win the prize here? All right, how, how many years? 50? Okay, we, got, we have some entries at home. Hang on, let's go to the studio audience. Hang on, hang on. Uh, we have some at home here. How, how many years? 56 years for the Heralds. Can you beat 56? Okay. Do I hear 57? 57? Going once? We, so, so we have some work to do. We have, we have a lot, lot longer to go. So, but, but if you've been married a long time, you know this, right? There are moments, certainly, you know, communication is always a work in progress, right? And we all, we all fumble with that every now and then. But when you know somebody for that long, well, let's ask, you guys ever start a sentence and, and your spouse kind of knows where you're going? Does that ever happen to you? Does that ever happen to you? Hap- <laughs> Praise the Lord, right, for that. <laughs> yes, yes. See, and that's, that's exactly the point, Right? God's people start talking and goes, I know, God, God knows, I know. Because of that relationship, because it's so close. And we see, of course, in Revelation that, that the tabernacle of God comes to dwell among men, right? That, that, that's the ultimate. It's, it's God with us. It sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? Yes. But eternally, continually, and forever. And then we get to verse 25 and we get these weird animal dynamics. What's up with the animal dynamics? When we go up to Fort Worth Zoo, we do not see uh, the wolf and the lamb grazing together. Actually, we might, but it would be a very short exhibit, wouldn't it? You know how they bring in temporary exhibits? We're going to have the orangutans from wherever for six months. And you'd be like, we're going to have the, we're going to have the wolf and the lamb exhibit. It's going to last about a minute and a half. Come quickly. What is going on here? God renovates the zoo. And that's supposed to make a bell go off in our head. What is this supposed to remind us of? Eden, where there was no death. Animals got along. Everybody was happy vegetarians back then. Right? And it reminds you of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe when the snow begins to melt. All right, remember, it's winter and never Christmas, right? Forever winter, never Christmas. And the snow begins to melt. And what Isaiah is saying as, as we go to the zoo in the millennial kingdom, zoos in the millennial kingdom, right? And we go, this is the strangest thing. The, the lion and the ox, or the lamb and the, and, the, and the wolf are together. The lion eats straw like an ox. Uh, the dust is the serpent's food. No harm comes to them. And we go, what is this? The snow's melting. God is beginning to melt the curse that he put on creation when sin came into the world. And that is foretaste, right? That, that's, that's a glimmer 
of the new heavens and the new earth. Which is why when we read this, we, we look out here and we go, when is this going to end? When is this going to stop? Politics and culture and, and, and people and power and corruption and money and, and control and, and, and sin and wickedness and redefining marriage and all the rest. When is it going to end? Remember, remember Isaiah saying, one day the snow will start to melt. And he will undo this curse. And he will recreate the world to be not just like it used to be, but like it used to be and even better. So Isaiah says, don't lose heart, right? Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. This is coming. Hang in there, right? Draw near to me. Remember those who take refuge and, and why, why hasn't God turned on the heavenly hair dryer to start melting everything in this corrupt? Why hasn't he done that yet? Because he's giving people time to repent. And that means we have a mission, don't we? You know, we, we, we can complain about the cold or we can go tell people about the Savior that will one day fix it all. So let's keep that in focus, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Isaiah. Thank you for these timely reminders, how we need how we need these things to not grow weary and discouraged and apathetic and, and indifferent, not just to corruption around us, but even to corruption that we continue to see in our own hearts. We're frustrated with ourselves too. Lord, thank you for this coming day. Thank you for Isaiah's hope. And, and uh, might we remember... Uh, another prophet's words who spoke in a very similar day. The Lord is wrathful. The Lord is coming in judgment. He's like a coming storm. And the prophet Nahum says, how blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Lord, help us to, to reaffirm our trust in you and to share it with other people so, so that they might avoid this coming judgment. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.